HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. My name is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, a super-duper awesome place. Roberta's is a very, 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 very proud sponsor of the Heritage Radio Network. We're also super awesome. Thank you, Heritage. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Judy, getting ready for your favorite time of year, the holiday season is fast approaching. Well, we have to get through Thanksgiving first. That's not my favorite holiday. And Hanukkah. And thanksgiving a cuff. thanksgiving a cuff, which is, I guess, Hanukkah, some interweb Hanukkah-giving. sort of <laughs> in, in, invention. I, I like Thanksgiving, actually. Um, it's a lot of food. There's no that messy gift-giving to get in the way. I, li- I like presents. <laughs> I like getting presents, too. But, you know, it's a lot, no, no, I don't have to go shopping for Thanksgiving, <clears throat> basically. So you're a guest. You don't cook. I do cook, actually. And um, I may be making Thanksgiving this year. It's undetermined. I'm thinking about uh, cooking a duck this year. Say why a duck. That was your cue. Why a duck, Mike? <laughs> Our good friends at Heritage Foods uh, might have a duck for me this year. Wow. Wow. Um, so you get paid in ducks for this show. What do I get? <laughs> I get shit. You get pizza. I get pizza. You get pizza. Yeah, you can have a duck, too. I know I the boss. I'll talk duck. to you. I I'm thinking a duck this year might be nice. I'm thinking maybe a nice chestnut stuffing with a duck, don't you think? No? That Mike, what do you think? That sounds gorgeous. <laughs> okay, you can come, too. Yay. We should introduce our guest. I'm thrilled. One of my very, very favorite guests that we've ever had, making an encore uh, performance, a return to the uh, formerly Mike and Judy show. Mike Albo. All right. Hey, welcome, Yay. Mike. Yay. Thanks. For Thanks for having me, you guys. This is awesome. The reason we're having Mike on the show, besides the fact that he's handsome and funny, is that he has a show playing now at Dixon Place. Next weekend is your last chance to, to see it until someone else picks it up. It. Dixon Place at 10 o'clock on Christie Street. It's called The Junket. 
Thanks for coming, Mike. Thank you. You were on the fast track to Broadway. I'm sure of it. (laughs) (laughs) That would be amazing if I got to Broadway with this show. Well, you know, I think I just saw Fun Home, too. And that that has a darker... tenor and i think that's going to go to broadway i see no reason why yours shouldn't. yeah i get nervous about those shows going to broadway i wish there was just you know like uh, what happened with bloody bloody andrew jackson which is was so so good and then it went to broadway and then somehow it lost its <laughs> lost luster its dark well i don't yeah. know how they're going to keep like a closeted suicidal dad like how they're going to put a spin <laughs> on that one like, but... right the kansas the kansans who come to new york really want to see that show yeah well they put up spider-man which is basically about a failed professional wrestler yes that was not the elevator pitch though that's not what it was <laughs> right, right. Not what <laughs> but junk at the play is based on the kindle single of the same name why don't you tell us a little bit about that Mike? um sure oh uh, Okay, so, um, uh, well, I'll do it in the fictional way that I yes. tell it. I uh, used to write for a major newspaper. Not the Post of the Daily News. No. Um, the I was New a, York paper, I, I was yes, I Yes, in, in the show I call it the New York Tomes, for legal reasons. Um, and I was a columnist for them. I, wrote, I was a freelancer. I didn't get any health insurance or pension plan or anything. You probably didn't have an office in the building, I guess. I w- went to the office once, and that was it. Uh, as a, uh, for a little tour, like they threw me a bone, and um, and then I was asked to go on a press junket, um, which I went on, and it was this like crazy, like insane bukkake version of a junket. It was like <laughs> it was like cross promoted by a thousand different brands, and it went to Jamaica, which is really weird for a gay person to go to anyway. And then I went on it and um, came back and uh, became sort of a gossip item. Um, by this this strange reporter who thought that it would be a good idea to sort of expose that I went on this trip because it goes against the Tomes Code of Ethics. And then I became sort of this scapegoat in a war between old and new media as they sort of duke it out for the ever-dwindling attention dollars of a. Well, basically, it's faux scandal and, and bullshit outrage. And, I mean, reading the junket, I mean, I'm just like, I'd like to strangle the guy that... You know that, that outed you, such as it yeah. was, for you know taking this trip, which really had nothing to do with your gig at the Times. And all of a sudden, oh my God, look at the guy for the Times. You know he got airplane tickets, and let's get him fired yeah. because I mean I'd like to beat that kid to a fucking pulp, frankly. <laughs> he, uh, I do too, but I, I, but I don't wish violence on people. But um, <laughs> I, you, you know, of course the the tomes uh, should have uh, an ethics policy. Of course they should. And, um, you know, it would be no one, one thing if they followed it themselves. Hello. Though. Jesus That's what I was about Christ. to say. It's just, it's just, you know, to me, it's like as, as uh, few and few, uh, fewer, fewer uh, jobs are actually created in these places. Like they can't really hold you to their, to their uh, rules. If they're not, giving you a salary to me that's to my time is my own time that is my whole point like, yeah because the, the tomes wasn't the only outlet for your writing right exactly you know and, you had a career yeah and if they if they really wanted to dig deep i was already a conflict of interest for them uh for example i wrote a profile of uh to the guys who who work uh, at urban outfitters who started urban outfitters the ceo and and uh the hedge buyer and wrote I went to dinner with them. You know, they invited me after the article came out, they invited me to dinner. We became friends. So is that a conflict of interest? And, you know, I think my question is everyone is part of the mess. Um, I would say, uh, Roberta Smith, who writes the art column is married to Jerry Saltz, who uh-huh. 
And I'm sure they have a fabulous art collection. You know what I mean? And David Pogue, I'm sure he never got a free <laughs> Mac computer. Or hello, <laughs> well, yeah. you, know, you know, I think that full disclosure in parentheses mm-hmm. is the new. Uh, with all due respect, meaning if I say with all due respect, it gives me impunity to follow it with "you're a cunt." Right. Yeah, but that's not how it works. So <laughs> if I just wait, you know, you know, you know, full disclosure, you know, um, full disclosure. That I'm, you know, married to the guy I'm writing about. It doesn't really forgive you for being that close to your subject or having a real conflict of interest. And right. really, when you look at the the style section, especially, it's one big giant reach around. I mean, totally. it is, you know, it is such an inbred clusterfuck. It's really gross, mm-hmm. icky. Well, at Condé Nast, where you also work, like the gifts that editors get there is yeah. insane. It's totally insane. I'm, you know, it might be different now, but back in when I worked there in 2003, uh, yes, the the gift. The, the swag that people got was hilarious. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I worked at Allure short for a brief period, back-checking, which was probably one of the most depressing jobs I ever had <laughs> in my life. And I delivered auto parts. But, <laughs> but yeah, every day, it was just like carts full of crap yeah. for these people. And, and when I was a music writer... We could just oh. got free shit all the oh, time, right. and I would supplement my income by just selling CDs. Yeah, that's what one of my editors did. Uh, they made hundreds of extra dollars doing that. It's yeah. it's part of our culture. I mean, we live in a consumer culture, and I think that's what I really wanted to point out was like, you know, uh, other cultures had dictators that they had to deal with, and our dictator is consumer consumerism. Mm-hmm. And that's and we're all a part of it. We're all part of the mess. I like the part where you say. You know, one of the pieces of swag you got that was branded was just a water bottle, one of those cheap plastic <laughs> water bottles. And, you know, if you, you, as you said, if you live in New York City, you can't walk out your fucking door without someone handing you one of those. Yeah. Your whole life was a conflict of interest. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You get a free calendar, you get a free T-shirt, you get free everything. It's just the way it is. Yeah, my boyfriend, his favorite kind of T-shirts are free. Like, <laughs> right. It'll say any stupid crap on it. He's like, isn't this a great shirt? Like, no, just because it's free doesn't mean you have to take it. <laughs> Totally. Give it to the it, Salvation Army. Wait, 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 wait. Army, Just because but. it's free. Say that again? Just because it's free doesn't mean you have to okay, take it. Okay, it's 6,000 years of heritage. That's, that's, that's conflicting with, but um, okay, I want to think about that. Well, it's like how open, <laughs> I would rather not go to an open bar. That's you know? so true. But, you know, there was a point, though. There was definitely a, a tipping point when I figured out I'd rather pay for it and hang out with better people than wait in line and hang out with a bunch of jerk-offs just mm-hmm. because the booze was free. But, you know, I was probably in my late 20s when I sorted that out. It was the first time I actually had enough money to actually go to a bar, you know. <laughs> I feel like open bars are really rare these days. I never. Well, yeah, they are. Yeah. I guess I'm really dating myself. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing I fucking hate. It's so 90s. vodka sponsors. It's not uh, as bad as Hennessy spon- I went to a uh, paper I, magazine I, party that was sponsored by Hennessy. I see. I dig that. And they were making Hennessy martinis. Oh, God. Well, I'll just, just leave out everything except the Hennessy. 86 the rest, because I, I like to drink cognac. But, but, you know, all these, like, fly-by-night celebrity vodka brands or disco vodka brands or yeah. whatever. It's like, okay, we're going to be – it's going to be Mike and Judy's vodka this week, and we're going to be mixing Mike and Judy Cosmos. And, like, I don't drink vodka anyway. Signature cocktail. The signature important. cocktail. Yeah. So, I remember going to some – out magazine party and I can't remember the liquor, but it was like this kind of tasted like Dimatap, that uh-huh. like that like me- medicine. I had the worst hangover for like eight days afterwards. It was disgusting. Yeah, I was at the um, the that that boat, the frying pan, and the only the only sponsor was Jägermeister, and it was like oh, docked no. really far from everything. <laughs> it's just like Jägermeister or on a nothing. Boat. <laughs> Jägermeister <laughs> on a boat, the big purple yawn. I know, and it's so awful because you put something free in front of me, and I will just like kill myself. I'll like I, I engorge know. myself till I die. 
<laughs> it's, it's, it's terrible because even if I have money in my pocket, free shit is pretty cool. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I, I guess I'm too. I like Jägermeister. I just w- went thirsty. Um, what what convinced you that that turning the junket? Like, how did you come up with turning it into a, a play, which is so fucking funny, and everyone should go see it. Oh, thank you. Um, I have to really credit my director, David Schweitzer, who is kind of like this amazing A-list director who graciously gave me time um, to work on this. And he, you know, I, I hadn't done a solo show in a long time. And it's weird. The further you get from doing it, the more like low self-esteem you have about doing a solo show. And um, and uh, David really was like, this is your next solo show. I think you should really do this. And so we worked on it for about a year. Um, kind of just, you, you know, the other interesting thing is, I, th- I was like, great, I'll do it. I have it already written. I'll just do it and memorize it. Fine. But, uh, do you know, the the writing is so different between the, oh, yeah. the junket and the show. And it's it's really interesting how, how things don't work on the page that work on stage. Okay. I mean? and, oh. and having to go through that whole process of changing the changing it to make it more live, it was a really, it was, it was a long process, actually. I'm sure. And the graphics are really funny, too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> your, yeah. Um, your faux, your fake logos yeah and stuff. the fake logos <laughs> yeah. are pretty genius yeah. Yeah. that's yeah the, um that's my my friend larry shea who's a video designer uh and he he's great i've known him since i was 17 we have a we have we share the same sense of humor so it was very easy to work with him yeah it's um it's such an entertaining show i mean it was it was packed the night i was there i told mike i think that Riken was there which was very i'm still not 100 percent sure but i th- he sounded like him i just wanted to hear him say rodney Oh my god! Oh, don't get me started on the A list. I love that show so much. Me too. I miss it. Me too. <laughs> why, is, why isn't it around anymore? I don't know. It's not fair. It was it really the best isn't. show. It was so good. And then that Mike Ruiz, the only one who really had a career, right? Like, for him, I know. I know. Do you, uh, watch, you watching much reality TV these days, Mike? Because honestly, um, I kind of got, got burned out on it. I barely turned the television I got on. Into all. I got hooked into the last season of Project Runway. I watched that. As you know, I was the first straight man to actually watch Project Runway and embrace <laughs> it. Congratulations! It's true. That's it's amazing. True. I love that show. And the first season I saw Tim Gunn on the street, I was so excited. And oh I God. was calling my friends. I was like, oh my God, I just saw Tim Gunn. I, I mean, I called like 10 people before I realized I either had to call a gay friend or a woman. <laughs> well, did you see his... I was so disappointed. They did, a, they did a slideshow of his apartment in the Post last week. His apartment is so depressing and granny. Really? It's really he. Sad. He is a big granny. He is a big granny. He, he hasn't... Well, I remember reading a long time ago that he had one love, love yeah. great love, and then he hasn't... Ever dated had since? Had sex in like 30 years. He's like, he's like Mrs. Haversham. Who's the character in Great yeah. Expectations? Yeah, yeah. Is that what his apartment looks like? Like, no. like a wedding cake collecting cobwebs on the table? I would table. like that. It's always set? <laughs> no, it's more like um, Connecticut grandma. Oh. Tasteful, I but... that. I wish she would have a love life. I wish she would have a love life too. And then, you know, with like maybe that guy from uh, Queer Eye, <laughs> the decorator guy, Tom Felicia. And oh. redo it a little bit. Yeah. That would be a good couple. Right, those guys, that's not on anymore, right? Those no. guys Those guys all go on to have careers after that? I, th- I think they do pretty well for themselves. Yeah. I see them on the street all the time. It's kind of like, you know you know how like, the only reason you live in New York is to see a star? Mm-hmm. Um, I see. <laughs> yes. I, it's really the only reason I pay rent to live in this dumb city. Well, we pay a stars. high premium, so I expect, I step up my door if I don't see David Bowie, you know, in yeah. the first 30 minutes. It's like, I talk I know, to my landlord. I get totally know, pissed. I get totally know, pissed. Talk to the landlords, I'm paying too much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I saw, well, I went to see the opening of um, The Jacksonian. The other night with uh, the Beth Henley play with, and uh, I met Ed Harris. And, oh um, wow! Yeah, he's pretty hot. 
<laughs> See, so maybe I was hallucinating Riken when I saw your show because it had been so long since I saw a celebrity. I was like, you were oh like my God, desperate for one. Yeah, yeah. I needed Riken. In your neighborhood, you don't see celebrities like constantly. You know who uh, we see? I see? I see models. I'm like, oh, I there's know. There's so many She's goddamn model. models in Williamsburg. There's a million of them. Yeah. I saw Alexa Chung once and her like Arctic monkey back when they were together. Yeah, I mean, Madonna eats in my neighborhood now. I understand they're knocking down your building to build a home for wayward bottles. <laughs> it's so depressing. We're we're negotiating with our landlord right now, and he's, you know, because we're rent-stabilized, so fuck you. Right. And uh, he's just like, what? Their apartments are so small. And it's like, yeah, to get a 500-square-foot one-bedroom in Williamsburg is three-quarters of a million dollars. So, I mean... It's crazy. I love the part in your book, we were talking about this before, when you said it was 1999 um, when the rich people stopped hanging out in society. Yeah. And there was definitely um, a turning point somewhere along the line when the city definitely, I was feeling it was two cities like our uh, mayor-elect, uh, Bill de Blasio, you know, s- sold his you know, whole campaign on, basically, mm-hmm. the two tale of two cities. And I believe it, and I really feel it. It was very, I liked what you had to say about it, because reading it, th- I live in New York for the same reasons we all do. I've been fighting it, and you know, we're all kind of struggling writers and authors. Um, but yeah, it's so, much, it's so much different now. Yeah, you know, and that, that's the thing. I was so curious, because I, I you know, in, in the show I talk about it, too. I sort, of, I sort of create this character. Well, he's based on a real person, but this, this rich guy that I met when I first lived in New York, and we used to be friends, and then we sort of drifted apart. And I don't know if it was because of our age or was because of like the the split of classes. But is suddenly, it, yeah, it's like a caste system. It's like yeah. it's like Planet of the Apes. The orangutans no longer hang out with the chimpanzees. Right. And fuck you if you're a gorilla. Right. <laughs> and you know, and it's perfectly it's perfectly physicalized by the state uh, by the by the by T magazine, like which is a yeah. <laughs> uh, which is a a symbol to me of of this sort of alternate luxury sphere. You know that that exists that I'm not a part of. Clearly, <laughs> I mean, I know it's. I read this one blog by the woman who started Lucky, and um, I like her. It's like a little shopping blog she does, and I'll be like, "Oh, that's such a cute shirt," and then it's six hundred dollars, and right. it's just, she's just like, "Should I buy it?" Oh God, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, the question is, if you suddenly had all the money that you ever could possibly want, if money really were no object, would you buy that six hundred dollars no. shirt then? If you had no. if you had twenty million dollars in your ATM account, would you start buying you know five thousand dollars pairs of socks? Yeah, you know, or a cigarette <laughs> boat. Would you, Mike? I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> and oh, oh, it's so funny. My friend, here's a this is an amazing example of things. Um, my friend uh, told me she was watching a a, re, a rerun of Different Strokes, <laughs> and it was the episode where um, Mr. Drummond was going to get evicted, <laughs> and 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 you know. Uh, and the uh, kids were just like, "Oh no, we're gonna have to live on the streets again!" Oh my god! And um, and then the r- landlord raised the rent um, to thirty thousand dollars. And my friend did like this quick math and realized that they were paying for their apartment, uh, their penthouse, Mister Drummond's apartment was twelve hundred dollars a month. Did <laughs> <laughs> you see a, a remake of Different Strokes though, with with, with Tim Gunn as the Mister Drummond? Oh, that'd be so sweet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. <laughs> Twelve hundred. Yeah, I know. You can't even buy like twelve hundred dollars. The bathroom will be in the hall for yeah. that, and you'd be. I mean, we're looking at apartments maybe to buy. We're looking out in Kensington, Jackson Heights. The only place I'll be able to afford an apartment is Darfur at this point, and I think the <laughs> rents are really high there now. So I don't know what's gonna, what I'm going to do. Well, you're okay, right? I mean, mm, every month is a little weird at my place. I have a kind of. 
I pay cash every month. My landlord's crazy. Mm. And uh, old school. Yeah, old so, school New York crazy. And landlord. he oh, every now and then he tries to like raise the rent, or suddenly we, he wants to fix the windows and he needs some more money, and I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So it's sort of like every month I'm like, am I still here? Am I still here? Yeah, it's it's scary. I mean, because yeah. I've lived in Williamsburg since 1994, and. When I moved there, we, me and a roommate split a big house a half a block from the train, the first stop, for 900 bucks. So I was paying 450 She was paying 450 Now, And you remember when the first ATM machine came to Williamsburg? It was like the New Deal. It was, it, was, it was like FDR bringing electricity to the rural areas of America. Right. Look, but a now, bank machine. But, like, <laughs> you know, if we weren't getting this, hopefully getting this buyout from our landlord, like, I don't know where we would move because... Yeah. A two thousand. The studios down the street are like over two thousand dollars a month. Yeah. Yes, there's like water features in the building and a courtyard and and like a freelancer bench. A freelancer but, bench. It's really the values of things are are. It, and you, you know how you try to convince yourself that it's always like value has always been relative. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, this I can't remember his name. There's this memoir by this uh, New Yorker writer who is writing about like his time in New York from the '60s until the '80s, and. He published a short story, got $1,000 for it, and it helped him because his rent was $75. <laughs> so there was a time when writers could actually get by. Doing... Well, you know, I have to say, I've always been blessed by the cheap rent ferry. Yeah. Like, since I moved here, I have not paid over over $600. Wow. Wow. Like, I moved here in 1988. <laughs> it's, I, but, I mean, I do my best to always... Hook people up with housing. Like, I'm really good like that because I realize how karmically, like, in, in debt yeah. I am. And nobody feels sorry for me, I know. Because, but Yeah, I mean, I got I got the, the good housing ferry, too. I, I was blessed. Um, when, when I got my place, I mean, it was, I was making money, and I did someone a favor, and I sort of got this kind of fire sale on a nice apartment. Someone wanted to sell it like, like that, and I got really this great deal. But if, had I not been living in Manhattan for 20 years and had those connections and really put it out to the universe, I couldn't just walk in here, and, you know, and it would have happened. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And it would never happen again in my life, especially after 9-11 and that recession, which kind of really threw the whole magazine industry completely out of whack and that's what I did as a magazine guy because yeah. I reinvented myself as a book guy and you know, you know publishing you know we're all getting rich on that yeah. Right. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. I know. it was very fortunate but had I not been here for 20 plus years before that there's no fucking way it would happen I couldn't imagine moving here like like we all thought of you know I mean I just moved across the river as, as did Judy but to come here from anywhere and not be loaded how yeah how do you do it yeah I think you do it by collecting a lot of swag because I'm doing a little lead-in to Mike's <laughs> Mike's performance here. Did you see that? That was Great really segue. good. That was really good. <laughs> Mike's going to do a little piece of his play that you should all go see. The Junket. Sure, okay. Um, when you write about clothing and shopping in stores, sometimes, if you're lucky, you'll get a free pair of jeans or a pair of sneakers or at least some free booze at a party. In Soviet Russia, they called it blot. Black market deals, free goods and services to get ahead. In our world, we call it swag, and swag is everywhere, and we've all had it. Swag is that gift bag you get at a launch party. It's that t-shirt they hand you when you leave a benefit. It's even that water bottle they hurl at you from a gay pride float. And over the years, it's these swaggy scraps that have kept me clothed, hydrated, and partially fed in the city I can't afford. Who knows what kind of swag you get when you're a staff writer at the Tomes, and you're going to Paris with Karl Lagerfeld for the fashion shows, or... You're in a mansion in the Hamptons talking to a Wall Street insider. Or maybe it's 2003, and you're having lunch with Colin Powell. And over a seared scallop salad at Per Se, 
he tells you that there just might be weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. And so you write an article, and a war breaks out, and thousands of people are killed, and our economies in tatters, and then you find out that there might not be weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. Oops. Oh well. At least that salad was delicious. <laughs> Does J.D. Miller still have a job? You know, talking. Yeah. I mean, seriously. You know, people are getting outraged because you know the the shopping freelancer. You know, took a little junket, and meanwhile, much, much more, much, much more crimes going on. Speaking yeah. of swag, I mean, I climbed the ladder. Because I started out with the, the school paper when I was in college, when I was at NYU, and someone said, hey, you want to review a record? And I got a free record, a vinyl LP, because that was the, uh, the, the the existing technology at the time. It was a 12-inch piece of plastic. And I thought, this is great, a free record. And they says, do you want to review a concert? And they gave me free tickets. And I'm, I'm like living large. This is This is great. And then, though, I climbed the ladder. Well, I worked in it for pornography for a while, and I used to get free porn at the time when pornography was actually expensive. And I used to be able to give my friends like all these videotapes, which was crazy because that made me very popular. But then I landed <laughs> at high times where I got free drugs. Wow. Yeah, I... Yeah, I never took advantage of the drugs when I worked at well, High Well, the problem with High Times, of course, was was if you know if you ever like seen like a kid's birthday party when they break open the pinata and thirty little kids you know turn into like, like craven little monsters, it's like Lord of the Flies. <laughs> That's what it was like at High Times. Anytime any pot came in the office, so to get a piece of that centerfold weed was difficult, and it took some finagling. And you know there was a hierarchy, and again like Planet of the Apes with the orangutans and the gorillas and the chimpanzees. But it was nice though to get some centerfold weed and say, my friends, hey, this is some centerfold weed. We're smoking the centerfold. I, I remember um, when at my job at Condé Nast, uh, the, all the different editors got swag. I didn't because I didn't talk to anyone directly. You know, I was a, I was the writer and the editor there, so they were the ones talking to to, to the different uh, uh, companies. And I just remember, like, over the wall of the cubicle, the shoe editor like suddenly stood up and was like, "I just won a Vespa." <laughs> it's just like out of the blue. Just in the middle of the day, suddenly he won a Vespa. I don't know. My favorite, my, <laughs> I used to send out email. This is before blogging, really. I used to send out emails every day to my friends about stuff I overheard at Condé Nast. And my favorite was this editor, who I'm sure you know, who I'm going to, I'll tell you his name off the air. He got up and asked, is the term jungle bunny considered derogatory? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> There's, it's like a, it's this rarefied crazy white world yeah. and when we got off for martin luther king day i was like why what's the point the black guy complained yeah <laughs> the only time i've ever met people who work for the new yorker they look exactly what mad Ma- the way mad magazine would draw someone who worked at the new yorker if you can imagine with like pleated khakis penny loafers argyle socks sweater vest and within 10 minutes they let you know they went to either harvard or yale it, and it's incredible because <laughs> those people have such great physical stamina because i am i will my body breaks down if i work in an office like i got kidney stones when i worked at i just oh, really? my yeah i can't do it it's like my body fluorescent kinda, lighting yeah and um uh yeah and but then these people are so dressed to the nines but they're just so totally like they're up in the morning and they're you know what i mean i don't know they just they're perky they're, they're a perky lot they're a different yeah. they're like a different species when i when i was there um i was like the poorest and the fattest so at christmas when all the snacks came in they thought it was really cute to put the snack table in front of my cubicle Cute. Yeah, that Cute. was really adorable. Nice. They were nice. really nice. One girl had a mirror dude, dude, some stuck guy, to her monitor. Some guy's being invested by the NFL for like the same sort of behavior right now. That's awful. Yeah, oh, they're, wow. they're, you know, one day someone told me I smelled good and I was like, 
I'm starting to fit in. <laughs> Mike, tell us more about uh, the junket at Dixon Place. Uh, uh, where is it exactly? When is it exactly? And how do we find uh, it? Dixon Place, uh, you can find, you can just go on to dixonplace.org. Um, and the show, unless it gets extended, is next Friday and Saturday at 10 p.m. I get a lot of things about extensions in my email. I'll look for one, see if I can help you out. There's a lot of that in my spam file. Good. good. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to the show, Thank Mike. Thank you, guys. Always it's a always, pleasure. Yeah, it's always nice always, to be here. Always, Mike. Good to see you. Uh, all right. Once again, it's been the fastest half hour on the internet today. So for Judy McGuire and Mike Albo, Mike Edison, and let's not forget Joe King of the Engineers in the booth. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.